Now, like any alcoholic in recovery will tell you, the very first step is admit. Admit, admit that there is a problem and admit there's a problem with user interface design. Welcome to Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. Now, here's your host, Craig Shoemaker. This is, um, I had two editions of my wife's software sucks talk, and they were both full. It, it, it's a fun talk to do. It's an easy talk to give. All I have to do is open my veins and bleed, you know? <laughs> well, today we are talking to David Platt, the author of Why Software Sucks. And today we'll tell us the first step is recognizing there is a problem. Apparently, there's a lot of sucky software out there. For show notes, please go to getpixelated.com slash shows slash sucks. Hey, welcome back to the show, and we've got continued coverage from TechEd 2008. Now, with a, a session topic like why software sucks, that's just something that really grabs your attention. And for us, as people who make software, it kind of stings a little bit, because obviously we all know there's stuff that we can be doing better, but sometimes it just takes someone to help point it out. And obviously, the best place to start is trying to figure out whether or not a chainsaw has morals or not. A chainsaw has no morals. Well, is it supposed to have morals? That is to say, it can be used for good as easily as it can be used for evil. Uh, if you use it to uh, cut down a tree that has fallen on your sidewalk and is keeping you from getting into your house, well, that's fine. On the other hand, if you use it to chop off the limbs of somebody and dismember them while they're sleeping, uh, you know, in, in general, that's a bad idea unless they're a really, really bad guy. You know what I mean? We're getting to the point with, with software and with the uh, UI technologies is that, you know, with Silverlight, WPF, there's so much power that's available to people, but just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should, right? That's absolutely right, Craig. If you think about, uh, you know what it reminds me of? Remember back in the 1980s and the late 80s when uh, laser printers got cheap and all of a sudden everybody had a laser printer? And then you started writing these memos and you change fonts every two or three words, you know, and you would send these things out, just covered with different fonts, and we, we, we called them ransom notes, remember remember that? And it's kind of like that. Um, people don't really know exactly which features to use at which point. And, and so they experiment with things, they try stuff over here, they try stuff over there, um, they're just sort of looking to see what works, but there are two problems with it. First of all, don't release those trials to the users. I mean, the, the, way, the way that you find out what works is not to use your customers as guinea pigs, all right? They tend to resent it and get mad and then um, go to somebody else if they don't kill you first. The second, um, the second problem that you, that you run into, I mean, it, it is, no, seriously, it shows a disregard, a disrespect for the user to use them as experimental animals without at least asking them for heaven's sake. Second problem, more to the point, is that um, when, when I say an application like that, is it in, invariably written from the toolkit outwards rather than from the user inwards? And so the first thing that anybody should do in any application is to, is to say, who is my user? What are they coming to me? Which problems are they coming to me to solve? And, and go on from there. Instead, people look at the toolkit and say, oh, well, gosh, I've got color gradients. Where should color gradients go? Uh, for example, oh, I've got motion. Where can I use motion? Well, maybe I'll put it here. Maybe I'll put it there. And, and that is entirely the wrong thing to do. You need to design from the user inward rather than the color outward. Let me give you an example, and it's a little bit hard to describe this on an audio uh, cast. It, it, it works better with the visual exam. But if you go to the family show example that's on CodeFlex, it is 
a uh, genealogy uh, application, and in the it has a uh, left-hand pane, which is roughly two-thirds of the area, and that has a vertical color gradient. It's lighter at the bottom and darker at the top. And in that case, the color gradient is conveying useful information to the user. It is telling the user in a subconscious, right brain kind of way, uh, your eye is immediately drawn to the darkest uh, area, and, which is at the top, and, um, and the color changes as you move down, uh, changes in a uh, you know, linear sort of fashion. It, the, the color is telling you that things progress as you move from the top to the bottom, and that is very much the case with the way the family tree is laid out with the oldest members at the top and the youngest at the bottom. So, so the color gradient is, is telling the user subconsciously in a right brain kind of way uh, how things progress from the top to the bottom. It is using its capabilities to cue the user in without him really having to think about it as to exactly what's happening here. It's a pretty good use of a color gradient to transmit useful information. On the other hand, the right-hand pane, which has got details, it's got lines of text, well, that has a horizontal color gradient on it. That is to say, it is light on the left-hand side of the pane and dark on the right-hand side of the pane. All right? And um, this is absolutely awful. Um, because your eyes go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, left and right, every single line. They need to adjust to the light hand, to the light color on the left hand side, and then the dark color, and then as you move, the steadily darkening color to the right hand side, uh, and then come back and do it again and again for every single line that anybody reads. And that gave me a headache within 90 seconds. So the first color gradient applied vertically uh, conveyed useful information. The second color gradient applied horizontally inflicted physical pain. So that's the kind of thing. Now it's a chainsaw. I don't expect a chainsaw to have morals. At the same time, I don't expect a moron to wield a chainsaw. I expect that when somebody picks up a chainsaw, they understand the principles that make the chainsaw work. They understand the kinds of things that a chainsaw does and does not do. They understand the side effects of employing a chainsaw, basically that they are competent to operate a chainsaw. And that is not what I'm finding in today's user interface designs. But don't get me started. Yeah, let's not, let's not do that. Another tenant that, that you put out there is that software should be invisible. And can you give us an example, well, tell us what that means, and then also give us an example of someone who's implemented that well. Okay, that software should be invisible. Um, actually, the, the term comes from a book written by Donald Norman many years ago called The Invisible Computer, in which he said that um, you know, the computer is an appliance, and uh, it, 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 you see, we, we, we work in the software business, we make software, we build software products, we want people to like our software and admire us for writing good software, but the thing is, your user doesn't care about your software, or you either, never has, never will. If your mother bought one, she might care, nobody else cares, sorry, that's how it is. And Norman said that when your user uses an application, you want them thinking as much as possible about the business logic of the application. Um, and as little as possible, down to aiming for 0.00, .00 about the application. For example, if somebody is using uh, Microsoft Money or Quicken to pay their bits, a bill paying program, the user wants to be thinking as, as much as possible, 100%, as, as close to 100% as we can get, about his business logic. Golly gee whiz, what bills do I have to pay? How much money do I have? Do I have enough money to pay them all? Oops, I don't. Okay, who is going to hurt me the worst if I don't pay them? That sort of thing. That's what you want the user thinking. You don't want them to say, where is that button? Or was it Control-F6 or Alt-Shift-F9 that is going to add up the total in my bank account? All right. 
So that's what we're looking to do. Anytime I hear somebody say, yeah, we just need to educate the user, I say, no, that's not, that's not right. We need to educate the programmer. But don't get me started here. So when I got back to the office, I started thinking about this concept of software that if it's not totally invisible, at least doesn't get in your way. And I was reading uh, my blogs and in TechCrunch up popped this story about a new Microsoft Surface appliance that was shaped like a sphere. So you could manipulate globes, you could look at 360 degree cameras, do the stuff with pictures like we normally see with Surface. And that reminded me of the different Surface applications I've seen. There's the, the Surface wall, which is pretty interesting. But even the Surface table itself gives you a chance to interact with devices in a way that we really haven't been able to enjoy like ever before. So I want to play for you a bit that was produced by Popular Mechanics, uh, which was a first reveal of the Microsoft Surface. Now, I know a lot of you have seen Surface in the past, but one of the things that I didn't realize was the device connectivity capabilities of the Surface. Here we have a wireless camera, and a lot of wireless uh, functionality is built into the, the Surface computing platform, and it's evolving into, into devices such as this camera. So here, we're gonna take a picture of uh, my colleague, Eric Softy, and we can then just put the camera right on the uh, right on the device and use that picture, which is, I think, enormously flattering of our friend Incredibly Eric Softy. We have a cell phone and all the wireless linking is going on behind the scenes in the table. So you can take your photo and then just instantly put it on your wireless device and then take it with you. Now you've basically taken two devices and without having to plug them into a computer or sync them up, you've transferred content from one to the other. Now really to do the demo justice, you have to check out the video and the videos are posted up on the website so you can check those out. Well, let's turn back to Dave and give him a chance to address the fact of Who's doing it well? Okay, well, for people that have done this well, okay, well, let me, let me elaborate on the principle a little more. And that is, unless your application provides sex, uh, or sex equivalent, by which I mean basically games or money, the user almost certainly wishes he was somewhere else, doing something else, instead of using your application. All right? The user does not want cool, the user wants finished. And the sooner you get him from not finished to finished, the less time it takes him to, uh, to convert from not finished to finished, the happier the user is going to be. If you expect the user is going to spend 10 seconds admiring your rotating video buttons or something like that, um, it's not going to happen. If the user notices that, he's going to be very angry that you've distracted him from what he wants to do. And then there's a, uh, there's a small class of applications um, at which the user actually does want to be spending time um, at the computer. Uh, for example, when my daughters uh, use Skype to call up my parents on a video call. Well, in general, uh, the grandparents kind of do like sitting down and seeing the grandchildren, and the grandchildren do like sitting down and seeing the grandparents. They do not wish that they were somewhere other than their computer. Um, relatively small class of applications, but it does exist. Um, and, but while they're doing it, uh, now you tell me, if you were a grandparent, would you rather be paying attention to the computer program or to the grandchildren? And if you were a grandchild, would you rather be playing with the buttons and checkboxes on the computer program or would you be rather waving and, and acting cute for, for your grandparents? Precisely. Okay. Um, so, so again, in, in, even if the user does want to be at the computer, 
he wants to be looking at the computer program as little as possible. My grand, my parents do not want to be thinking about Skype. They want to think, be thinking about their grandparents. Skype actually does that fairly well. There, there was one, I, I remember, uh, oh, a guy named Jared Spool um, uh, works for a company called User Interface Engineering, UIE.com in uh, Tewksbury, Mass, if I recall correctly. He, uh, I quote him in my book, Why Software Sucks. He, he did some research on a Disney webpage that had an animated logo. And in it, he talks about the video that he took of customers using this and the animated spinning logo. He said, users found the logo so annoying that initially they tried to scroll it off the screen. And when they found they couldn't do that, they actually covered it up with their hand so that they could look at the rest of the page without being distracted by this thing and actually get some work done. So, so I, would, I, I would have paid money. In fact, I would still pay money. <laughs> To see video of, of, of people of, doing this. Well, to see, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to see Spool showing that video to the president of Disney. Yeah. Probably would have taken that, that, that uh, UI designer and tied him into a boat and made him ride It's a Small World After All for two solid days before allowing him to drown himself. So other than, you know, buying your book and, and reading it, how, how are people going to learn how to uh, apply these concepts in, in their jobs? How are they going to be, you know, it's, it's not even, it was right now, I'm not even to the point of trying to tell them how to solve them. Right now, I'm trying to preach that, hey, guess what? There is a problem. And, uh, and I'm meeting a lot of resistance with that. They, they say, no, no, our software is good. You're a Luddite plat. You just don't like gradients. Um, I like the gradients that give me useful information. I dislike the ones that give me headaches. You know? I mean, I, I, I think you will find very, very, very few people on the face of the planet that say, oh, I like that gradient. I don't mind the headache. The gradient <laughs> is so nice. It, it's, uh, et cetera. Um, what, I, what I'm doing now is I'm trying to tell people, hey, you know, like any alcoholic in recovery will tell you, the very first word, the very first step is admit. Admit, admit that there is a problem, and admit there's a problem with user interface design. And that's currently where I am. Now, once, once people have admitted, where are they going to go? Well, you know, uh, for example, I would like to see the curriculum change at, um, in colleges. Um, I'd like to see software engineering split off from uh, computer science, as computer science split off from mathematics 30 years ago or so. And then see uh, software engineering split off from computer science as, uh, as uh, structural engineering split off from physics, for example. At, um, at a lot of universities, to get a computer science degree, you have to take a course in compiler design. Now, as an exercise in, in mental stimulation, perhaps it has a certain amount of use. Uh, and, uh, but if you start looking how many guys are actually going to work on compiler design, on actually building compilers, the answer is very few. 20 years ago, it was a whole lot more as a percentage of the um, uh, computer science industry. Uh, but today, it's almost none. Uh, almost everybody uses, there are lots and lots of application programmers, they use the compilers built by a few very relatively small teams at, at, at just a few companies. So forcing everybody to learn that um, as, as the price of entry into the computer science business uh, no longer makes any sense. It's like telling somebody they can't be a carpenter until they've learned how to forge a hammer. And, that is, and, and then sharpen a screwdriver. That is, that is not a good use of anybody's time. On the other hand, um, every, just about every programmer in the universe uh, is going to need, uh, on a more or less regular basis, to interact with an end user. And they ought to have some notion of the, the principles of uh, interacting with an end user. So I'd like to see a user interface design class be mandatory for a degree in software engineering. You know, learning, for example, that motion 
um, inherently draws the eye of a user. I mean, we evolved that way. If we, the, 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 the humans who did not see the rustling of the grass either were eaten by the saber-toothed tiger hiding behind it and did not pass their genes on, or failed to catch and eat the prey hiding behind it and then starved to death and did not pass those genes on. So, you know, we are hardwired. Your eye is drawn to motion. It's a function of your reptilian mid midbrain. You have no conscious control over it. Human beings are, are biologically structured that way. And therefore, in a computer program, you only use motion when uh, two, two reasons. Either A, when you want to draw the user's attention somewhere, an alarm perhaps, something like that, or to simulate motion in the world if you're showing, if you want to show Oh, perhaps a spinning fan or a pump on a um, uh, on an industrial control diagram. If the pump is going to spin, maybe perhaps on a zoom view anyway, and they show the thing spinning, and then the user can sort of diagnose by how fast the it's spinning. The user will probably pick that up um, um, better than he, and it'll make more sense, uh, more so than than a number would. Anyway, you know, learning these things that hey, guess what? Users are drawn to motion, and there's not a damn thing that you can do to stop them from being drawn to motion, and therefore do not use motion until and unless you were ready to draw them. So, so that's the sort of thing I, mean, I would like to see those changes made. Uh, more to the point, I would like to see the computing industry needs to specialize in the same way that the medical industry has had to specialize. Uh, sort of after the Second World War, just about every doctor was a general practitioner who did some medicine and did some surgery and delivered some babies and took out tonsils and treated syphilis with arsenic and things like this. Um, and and then, then, it had to, um, uh, then it had to separate into the broad kingdoms of medicine versus surgery. Then the surgeons uh, would give up the limbs to concentrate on the trunk. They'd give up the abdomen then to concentrate on the thorax. They would give up the lungs to concentrate on the heart. They'd give up some kinds of heart procedures to concentrate on others. Why? Because the amount of things that there are in the world to know just go up and up and up and up. And the percentage and, and the amount of stuff that anybody can fit in their head, working as hard as they can, is more or less a constant. Some guys will have a bigger capacity than others, but just about everybody's is more or less a constant. And therefore, the percentage of things in the world on which anybody can be an expert just shrinks and shrinks. And there's not, uh, and, and again, human beings are structured that way, and this, there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. Uh, and, and therefore, um, you know, medicine has had to specialize. And now we are at the point. Ten years ago, even five, every programmer was a general purpose programmer. And that needs to start specializing uh, for the same reason that medicine did. There is just so much to know. Um, security specialists need to do nothing but eat, drink, and sleep security because that's what the bad guys have. And they're trying to crack the systems. Uh, there is so much to know. I'm, I, I, for example, have had to give up databases. I just can't touch them anymore. There's just too much to know about them. And I need to concentrate uh, all of my, um, there's so much to know in my specialties that I just don't have time to look at databases, for example. Uh, and conversely, the guys who work on databases like Bob Bochman and, and Rafal Lukowicki, you know, these smart guys, you know, very, very, very smart guys, but they really just don't have time to look at anything other than databases uh, if they want to do databases as well as databases need to be done. So we need to start specializing here, and user interface design needs to be recognized as its own specialty. You don't have the summer intern do it just because, uh, just because he's cheap. And, and knows blue from black. Yes, it yeah. knows blue from black. Or, and you don't just get on, um, and, and that's the other thing we're starting to see. You get a, everybody says, oh gosh, we got WPF, we need a graphic designer now, right? Um, usually they mean somebody, an art major, right? so, somebody who knows the difference between mauve and chartreuse or something like that. Um, and, and no, that's, that's not what you need. Again, user, computer user interaction is a highly, I mean, highly, highly, highly specialized field. 
And you need somebody who is an expert on that um, because that is the standard of care today. It is not good enough to do a half-assed job. You know, 10 years ago, it was good enough to do a half-assed job because that's all we had. Uh, but today, it is not good enough to do a half-assed job. So we knew somebody needs somebody that's good enough and smart enough, studied enough, specialized enough to do a whole-ass job, I suppose. <laughs> that's awesome. So if, if people want to find out more about you and what you're involved in, where can they go? Okay, well, my website is rollthunder.com, R-O-L-L, thunder.com. My book webs, uh, my book is Why Software Sucks. There's a free sample chapter on the uh, BookZone website, which is naturally whysoftwaresucks.com. Um, I also have a blog called suckbusters.com. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks a lot for having me, Craig. Have, enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, Dave is a very colorful guy with a lot of uh, really great analogies and... Uh, illustrations. So if you get a chance and he's at one of these conferences that you're at, make sure you stop and check out one of his sessions. It's definitely insightful. Well, like I said, there's a number of videos and resources for you on the show notes. There's links to some of the things that Dave spoke about. I have videos uh, that the popular mechanics bit came from, as well as uh, a demonstration of that globe that I was talking about, and also the surface wall, if you want to check it out as well. You can find all of that at getpixelated.com slash show slash sucks. And this is Craig Shoemaker. I'll be talking to you soon. Pixelate Radio on the web at getpixelated.com. That's getpixel, the number eight, ed.com. All rights reserved, copyright 2008. Infragistics, powering the presentation layer. Infragistics.com.